Hello and welcome to another episode of the League One Lowdown, the one action-backed episode we have got. We're going to look at several things, including managers, finances and certain teams, including top of the table Wickham Wanderers, AFC Wimbledon, to player and manager of the month nominees and who we think should win it and why. I am your host, Matt Arles, back on hosting duties after my absence last week. And with me to talk through the big topics, we have Jake Tung, a Lincoln fan, as you already know, who is starting to become a regular on the podcast of his recent appearances. Jake, how are you? Uh, morning, I was here. Good to be back, actually. It's a good week, so I'm looking forward to it. You all right? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, mate. And uh, we have a League One Lowdown debutant in uh, Gabriel Sutton, the owner of the Football Lab and an avid EFL follower and writer for the likes of uh, Bet Victor, Footy, Accumulators and the Sack Race. Welcome, Gabriel. Thanks for coming on. And how are you? Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's good to be on. Good. We are glad to have you on. Um, let's get a quick word from you, um, Gab, just quickly. What have you made of the League One season so far? Is it what you expected or has it slightly been unpredictable? Well, I would say it's been a little bit um, not quite what I've expected in the sense that Wickham, um, obviously, um, after quite a turbulent summer with uh, sort of delayed recruitment due to one or two sort of um, a bit of transition off the field, didn't expect the start they've had. Coventry as well, uh, stadium ground that they've actually won all their in inverted commas home games. I'm not sure I, I uh, expected that. Um, you got Lincoln as a newly promoted side there, right up there. And actually, I'm looking at teams like um, Portsmouth, um, been surprisingly quite poor, um, and and I suppose Sunderland as well have probably got another gear to go up. So I actually think there's been quite a few surprises at uh, Rochdale as well. You'd say um, in terms of how well certain teams have played, and 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 in some cases some teams are not quite um, living up to expectation. Yeah, it's a very very uh, good point you make. I think certainly a lot of people will share that same viewpoint um, as yourselves. Let's uh, get stuck into the podcast. Let's begin with the managerial situations. Um, Lincoln and Southend are both on the lookout for new managers after Danny Cowley and Kevin Bond uh, both left their clubs respectively. Um, Friday for Kevin Bond and uh, Danny Cowley was just this week. Let's start with Lincoln, of course. They're the most relevant team, of course. The Cowley brothers did a dramatic U-turn and went to uh, struggling championship side Huddersfield. Um, as compensation was agreed, they are now uh, the new managers at the Yorkshire Club. Jake, as we know, you are a Lincoln fan. You've had time now to reflect on the news of the Cowleys going to Huddersfield. What do you think about it and where do you think the club will go now um, in terms of the manager and how it will affect the football inside of things, do you think? Um, I think there was a, a massive shock that, that Danny committed such a, a U-turn in terms of rejecting Huddersfield and then, and then turning back on himself and taking the job. Uh, one thing that surprised supporters is that he's left mid-season which is something that, that he's, he's come out publicly said he never did. But the, the Wicked game on Saturday had the end-of-an-era feel about it. There, was, there wasn't so many supporters in the stand. It was, it was weird. It, it just didn't feel like a typical Danny Cowley side performance. And In terms of where Lincoln go next, I think there's probably for supporters, there's two main uh, candidates for the job. There's obviously there's Gareth Ainsworth at, at Wickham, which, you know, depending on how these elections go at Wickham, could that could sway his decision. So, obviously, the quotes he came out and said the other day is saying that he wants to manage in the Championship one way or the other, with or without Wickham. Um, we all know Lincoln as a club have that ambition, so maybe that could sway his decision. But also, Michael Flynn at Newport, uh, an upcoming manager, I think the probably only thing that might go against Flynn is that he doesn't have much experience at League One. 
because we're trying to get out of League One as quickly as possible, that might come up against him. But there are, you know, it's crazy that some of the managers that we've been linked with, Adkins, I saw, I saw John Terry's thirty-three to one. There was, I was on the sack. I think I was on the sack race, and Terry Henry was thirty-three to one. And about three years ago, when we were before the Cowleys came in. There was no chance that any of these types of managers would have been linked with our vacancy. So, you know, it just shows what te- it just gives a testament of what Danny and Nicky have, have done at the club, and I think they deserve their chance to manage in the championship. They've, they've committed miracles, performed miracles for Lincoln. So, you know, I have absolutely nothing against them. Uh, but you know, Huddersfield isn't the perfect opportunity. Maybe the parachute payments had something to do with that. But you know, regardless, Danny deserves his chance, and. I'm sort of glad that he's got it because, you know, he des- he definitely deserves it. Yeah, I think everybody agrees in football that he does deserve a shot at managing in the Championship and especially a club like Huddersfield OK, they've not won a lot of games over the course of the last sort of 12 months or so, but, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity for them nonetheless. Obviously, we'll move on to South End in a minute, uh, Gab, but this is a, a, a club, Lincoln, where a lot of managers are going to want to manage. They, you know, it's an attractive proposition. You know, they're high up in the league. They've had a tremendous amount of highs in the last sort of three to four years. You know, the FA Cup quarterfinals there. Two, mm. You know, uh, National League win, League Two title win, the playoffs. You know, in those four seasons, they've just steadily progressed into a, into a really good side. You've, you've really, you know, come out of the wilderness, essentially, to be at this position. If you were... The Lincoln hierarchy. Who would you look at at a point in the, with, with the list of names that's obviously been linked? Well, I think it's a very good point you make uh, in terms of the infrastructure at the club, and I think um, although Danny and Nicky Cowley they've not been responsible for the investment side of that, um, they had really pushed for. Um, sort of things like developing the new training ground that was a big part of like I remember in the 17-18 season when that was their first season up and they reached the playoffs um, they uh, the Cowley brothers were offered the investment mid-season to really strengthen the squad and go for a, a sort of a um, almost a, a sort of a real promotion push uh, but actually they decided um, no, we want the investment to go into the training ground because that's going to be a longer term uh, benefit of the club, which I think was actually a really selfless way of looking at things. Um, so they've really focused on getting the structure right. So I think they leave the club um, in a much better position than, um, than than what they found it in. And I think that makes Lincoln a really attractive proposition for managers. Um, I'm personally going to hold on to my view that I think Nigel Adkins um, is a realistic candidate. He's been willing to drop down to League One level before, um, did a very good job at Hull City. There's a possibility that um, if in terms of his, it might work from geographically, having been in a, a similar area, um, I, I, I've just got a feeling that, uh, that there'd be enough about what Lincoln City can offer um, to attract him to the club. But um, but obviously you've got the likes of Michael Finn and, and Gareth Ainsworth, who are among the contenders, reportedly as well. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see. I mean, the, the odds are called in the sky back this morning. Michael Flynn, 6-4. Gareth Ainsworth, 7-4. Uh, Ian Culverhouse, who's uh, manager of Kings Lynn in the National League North, is 4-1. Alan Dowson, the manager of Woking, the National League leaders, 8-1. Jamie McComb, current caretaker coach, is 10-1. Uh, and Kevin Nolan and Nigel Adkins, as uh, Gab just pointed out, are both uh, 20-1. Jake, out of those list of names, I think 
I was speaking to you about this off air. Well, off off well off air last night. You wanted Gareth Ainsworth, and he's dropped mm-hmm. major hints, hasn't he, as to to becoming the new Lincoln manager? Would this be an appointment you'd welcome if he did come to to Central Bank? Absolutely. He's you know he's a real fan favourite because of his his playing days at, at, in, in Lincoln. He was he was outstanding as a player. I think he's proved over this eight year spell at Wickham the credentials that he's got and. We're looking to build as a club. We're looking to go up the division, up the division. So I think Ainsworth would be the perfect role to come in as a younger coach. Maybe his, his style of football isn't the most attractive, but it, by the looks of it this season, it's won him a lot of games. And I think definitely Ainsworth above anybody else would be the person that the fans and personally that I, I want to come in. Very interesting uh, choices. We'll see how that develops. Of course, they've got Jamie McCoomin. Andy Warrington and caretaker charge for their first game about the Cowleys as they take on Bristol Rovers on Saturday. Let's move on to Southend United, of course. Uh, they're a team really struggling. Six games in, no points. Kevin Bond resigned on Friday as their poor start to the season saw him um, tender his resignation. They're a club who, it seems, don't have an, a great list of names but one man who does stand out for the job is Adam Barrett, club legend, was a captain there, currently a coach there as well. Um, he's been endorsed by Chris Phillips, the local reporter, Anton Ferdinand, um, a former player who was his teammate a few years ago um, down in Essex. Um, it seems to me with, with, with Southend, I spoke to you about this off-air gap, that they do kind of need somebody in this current situation who knows the club inside out. I think Adam Barrett, you know, fits that bill. I'm kind of with you on this. You know, he knows the club, he knows the setup, he knows um, the, the support base, he knows what they demand, um, and I just think they need somebody in who who's just who's a fan favourite. You know, as a player, and I think if they'll give him time, they'll give him a, a chance to um, to sort out what's been left behind by Kevin Bond. He's going to have this this squad until January at least. But we know in football, if he has a, a few bad results, he could easily. Um, be at the door so you know he isn't going to have um, a whole squad to change he's got this until January essentially so I think Barrett would be the best candidate for the job do you agree with me in that sense Gab would you think that maybe because of his inexperience that they won't go for him do you think that they might need an experienced manager like Phil Parkinson who is on the shortlist it seems according to many bookmakers yeah um I, I, I think that Southend will go for Adam Barrett. I mean, I actually thought this myself. I thought uh, Barrett was a coach, but I think he's working at the under-23s at Millwall at the moment. So they would oh, okay, be yeah. kind of, uh, they would be poaching him. But um, but yes, I think in terms of his connection with the club, he's someone, um, he spent there around sort of 10 years there combined across two separate spells. Uh, I mean, I've not watched him as a player every week as South End fan fact, but when I have seen him, uh, he struck me as a really sort of committed character, someone who speaks his mind, someone who wears his heart on his sleeve. And although that alone doesn't make somebody a, a great manager, I just feel in this situation they need someone that's going to get the support of the fans uh, straight away. There's going to be that sort of instant connection. And I think that's what they'll be getting with uh, Barrett. The other thing as well is, of course, um, he's an ex-centre-back, um, and I think he's going to be very focused on 
basically reorganising seam, uh, getting the fitness back, which has been a, a real problem for them, and kind of just getting players to do the basics, because I think part of the reason Southend have conceded as many goals as they have, I've, I get the impression it's because players haven't quite understood their roles, or maybe some of the instructions are sort of more complicated than than the um, than the level of ability of the players, and, and I just feel like Barrett's someone that's going to take the team back to basics and, and get them fighting to stay up. Whoever Jake, whoever the new manager of Southend is, I think they do have to sort the defence out, don't they? I mean, you know, yeah, um, yeah. Gav made a very, very good point. They've played six games so far and conceded 17 goals. That's nearly um, three goals a game, essentially. That's what he has to turn around at the moment, is to make them, surely, whoever the manager is, to make them very, very tough to beat and very disciplined, surely. Yeah, well, they, well obviously, they came to Central Bank and, and shipped four, but I... You know they were they were equally as poor going forward as they were at the back, but obviously they've they've scored goals. They obviously scored three against against Wickham uh, the other week. So I've, what I think ain't what uh, sorry Southend will be looking to do is to get that new manage, managerial bounce that that people keep talking about, and it's just really important because obviously they're sat with no points, only Bolton behind them. You know they they need to get they need that bounce to to give them a lift, and I think a, a legend of the club is going to do that and. Hope I'm fingers crossed because I don't mind South End as a football club. I really hope they can get out of, uh, out of the problems that they're in. Yeah, you do hope that they can um, get out of the situation they're in. But of course, it is still very early on in the season. Six games in, there's still a long, long way to go for them to turn it around. Let's look at Wickham Wanderers, top of the table. Something you would not have thought um, only these as we head into the second weekend of September for. Uh, football in League One. Unbeaten in the league, of course, they beat Lincoln at the weekend to claim a massive scalp as they went to the top of the table. Um, unbeaten so far, um, producing good results. Um, Gab, how have you assessed Wickham so far in the league? Well, it's been extraordinary, hasn't it? I mean, and I think it was something like they'd only signed one player up until like the 19th of July when other clubs you'd be starting your recruitment around May time for the following season and having sort of all of June and then so then when you start the season sort of in late June to July you've got that whole squad in place hasn't really been the case at Wickham because um, essentially their ownership structure means that they rely on um, on the supporters trust which is kind of what they're owned and I mean towards the end of the summer I think there was a loan from Rob Kohig who's hoping to do a takeover there but certainly it hasn't been uh, a straightforward summer um, but actually in terms of the, the signings they've got they've actually all made um, a really promising impact I mean they lost Jason McCarthy right back probably the player of the year last season Jack Rimmer's come in and done really well for them um, and then you're also seeing players like um, Joe Jacobson sort of maybe struggled a little bit with the, the pace of League One last season. He's had an, an excellent start to the campaign and obviously scored that that um, unusual, shall we say, hat-trick uh, against Lincoln on Saturday. So really promising start. And to be top of the league with 15 points from seven games with one of the lowest budgets of the division, it's um, an incredible achievement. And um yeah, I, I think that's a great start on route to getting to that 50 points tally as, as quickly as possible. It is, it is fantastic and it is very hard to actually put into words. I think a lot of Wickham fans still um, feel the same, don't they? That It is hard to believe that they're top of the table. The thing I've noticed about Wickham is, is you know, look, every time you play Wickham, whoever the opposition is, you're always going to know you're going to be in for a tough game. Um, 
they they play they can play they play very good football a lot of the time, but they can win games in a very sort of ugly fashion. I think that's such a a good quality to have that you don't need to play this brilliant and an eccentric football to be um, a successful team. And I think Gareth Ainsworth has instilled that over the course of uh, of his time in charge um, of Wickham. A few people say, in my eyes, that they haven't had a real tough test yet, but I disagree. I think you look at it, they went away to Fleetwood. Probably, if you listen to a lot of Wickham fans, I mean, we had Alex on the day after the game. He said they should have won the game. It was only for a, a last-minute equaliser that denied them. Um, MK Dons, which is arguably a team who's very similar to them, maybe even better on paper, beat them in the last minute. Lincoln was a, a great win. OK, they beat Bolton, um, which is a bit irrelevant given their, their problems before their takeover. But they, they have had, I think, some, some tough tests along the way. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, Jake. Do you think that maybe they haven't quite been tested yet in this division? Um, I think Wickham have definitely been tested. I think they're definitely proving to the outsiders that they are promotion promotion candidates although you know having said that you know we're link, uh, Lincoln is a team that expected to do really well this season but we just didn't show up on Saturday we were making defensive errors you know when you look at our back four we had we had early well, former Welsh international Boswick never really puts a foot wrong Jason Shackle is playing the Premier League and then Harry Toffolo a really steady back four that we've had for, for more than a year now and they were making mistakes but you know, you know, Wickham were were excellent. They stopped us playing our game, stopped us getting the turnovers, and uh, they they really made us play really poorly. And you know, the the hat trick from Jacobson, whether it actually is a hat trick, you know, I was behind the goal for two of the goals. The second one looked very, you know, ambiguous as to whether it was Jacobson's goal. But you know, I can't I can't say I see them as a promotion candidate. But I could definitely see them finishing as a team outside the playoffs, sort of similar to a level of maybe MK Dons, as you mentioned, coming in between 10th and maybe 14th. But, you know, it, it all depends, obviously, around the future of the manager as well. If they can keep hold of, of Ainsworth and he doesn't come to Lincoln, then, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. I think one thing as well that sticks in my mind um, is the fact I don't think a lot of people have actually given them credit for the start they've made. Look, you know, Gab made a very good point. They made one sign-in in... In the middle of the July, and they just had a flurry of signings. Angels have had to bed them in quickly, and they've just had great success. Um, so it just shows how good a manager um, Angels is. Do you think that maybe people now, Gab, are starting to take real good notice of Wickham and maybe think, oh, this side could actually be um, real good, strong contenders for for the upcoming season? Or is it maybe a bit too early to to read into or be drawn into that sort of thing? What do you think? I think it's too early. Um, I think they've had a wonderful start and I think that's to be commended. Um, but at the same time, Warsaw were in a very similar position um, at this stage last season uh, and they ultimately went down. And I'm not necessarily saying that the same thing is going to happen to Wickham because I think their performances have probably been more convincing than the Warsaw's had been. But at the same time, um, I think 17 games in is too early to draw any conclusions. And I'd just like to look at the fixtures they've got um, over October because um, the They've got to uh, play at home to Peterborough, uh, away at Ipswich, home to Sunderland, away at Blackpool, and then away wow. at Rotherham, which is an incredibly tough run of fixtures. Mm. Um, and I think it's possible they could end up with quite a low return from from those games that um, you know could could end up empty-handed. So I think that it's important that when they go into those fixtures, they're still thinking about 
can we get to the 50 mark rather than can we be promotion contenders? Because if you go into those runner fixtures with too high expectations, then what you find is that if you're suddenly beaten by teams with, with bigger budgets, um, then all of a sudden it, it affects the mood in the camp. So I think Ainsworth will probably, if he stays, I mean, we, that, that's a separate conversation altogether, but whoever the manager is, um, I think they'll need to play expectations down, which I think is something that Ainsworth does very well. Yeah, very, very um, good point that you make there. Wickham Wanderers, of course, as we said, are unbeaten. Um, and let's kind of hope that it's... Well, Alex will be hoping it stays that way, but as we know... Oh, don't ask. It was, it was unbearable. <laughs> it was unbearable on Saturday night. I went out with it. It was unbearable. Well, he probably will be unbearable again on Saturday um, should they get a win. Let's move on to a team now who are winless. AFC Wimbledon... Um, are currently in the bottom three. They've lost five of their first seven games. Um, it seems to me, with Wimbledon this season, that they've been quite unlucky, actually, not to probably pick up maybe a few more points. I mean, you look at Ipswich away, um, they were seconds away from, from getting a point. I mean, they were five minutes from actually getting three points at Portman Road, which was would have been a massive result. Wickham was a good nil-nil draw in the grand scheme of things of how they've started. Um the one thing that really strikes me about Wimbledon is they're not obviously getting battered. They're only losing games by a narrow margin. So it, it kind of reflects to me that they're not too far away. You know, look, we know with Wally Downs, they're a very tough team to play against. Um, he came in last year, sought them out defensively, uh, made them very, very tough to beat. They're very much built to be in a wayside um, over a home team. Um, you feel, I mean, they had a great run, I think, where they were unbeaten for a lot of away games towards the back end of last season into this season before they um, obviously got beat by Fleetwood um, in their first away game this season. Um, one of you two jump in on this. How do, how do you make of Wimbledon's start? Do you think that they've maybe been a bit unlucky with, with yeah. what they've had? Or do you think that maybe it's been a bit, you know, they they just, you know, it's expected the I start they've you, made? I think you just have to look at the last... 10 minutes against MK Dons. I don't know if you watched it on the on Sky Sports on no, I didn't watch Sat it, no. Saturday, but the last 10 minutes, Wimbledon had MK Dons on the ropes. They were, obviously, they got the, the goal to make it 2-1 and then I think with about 15, 20 seconds left, they hit the post. It just shows you they're a nearly team, which which obviously you don't, you don't want to get into the habit of. But I think the, the problem with Wimbledon is the, the honeymoon period with the manager is over. As we've said quite a number of times on this podcast now, uh, they're they're into the meat and gravy. They have they have to perform better. But you look at the expected goals in the season. That the only team below them in that in that column are Bolton Wanderers, and Bolton have fielded a load of kids for the first however many games they've played. You know they haven't got Piggott firing, and they're, they're going to need to to give hit because he probably kept them up with his goals that season. I think he scored quite a high percentage of their of their goals. So. If they if they can get Piggott firing again, I think they should be safe from relegation. It's it's just that they're going to make the chances and, and give them um, so he can score them. Gab, what do you what do you make of Jake's comments? Do you agree with him, or do you have a slightly different view? Well, I I think my thing on Wimbledon is I think they play um, well in in sort of uh, one half of football and 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 not so well in the other. I mean. Um, I think that was against Rotherham. It was um, a good second half from them and they lost a good first half at Fleetwood. Um, you're looking at fairly competitive at Ipswich and ultimately lost a couple of late goals. Good first half at Sunderland. Um, 
and then a good second half at, at MK Don. So what you're thinking really is, um, I think first parts of the game, they're probably not as competitive as they would like. But I also get the impression based on what you've said in terms of the XG is that even when they're on top of games, are they really uh, sort of carving teams open? Because I think when they had James Hansen last season, he's a sort of a recognised target man. He can win balls in the air, he can hold it up. Um, and I think without that, then when they go long from deep, uh, I don't necessarily think they have someone uh, in that mould who can really sort of hold the tacks together. Um, now, maybe Marcus Force could kind of do that because he scored a header but again him Pigger, I don't really see either of them as a natural target man and um, I think their best way of ch- creating chances will be um, sort of in transition if they can open teams up that way but to do that then their pressing has to be right for, for 90 minutes and so far it hasn't been this season Yeah I mean you know looking at Wimbledon as well I think you know look they've got one of the smallest budgets in the league I think um, they're one of a cluster of teams where I think their main objective every year is to stay up, and that's no disrespect to Wimbledon. I think that they, a lot of their supporters would probably admit that um, if they stayed in League One, um, it would be a fantastic achievement for them. Um, everybody sort of seems to like Wimbledon, I think, given their, their history. Well, obviously not MK Dons, but, you know, given as a neutral, I think a lot of people do want them to do well. One person in particular who stood out there, Jake, was Joe Piggott, you said. Now, I really like Piggott. I think he's a very, very good player. I think if you give him the right service, he will provide you goals. Um, and I think he's had that at Wimbledon since he sort of walked, walked through the door, whether it was with Ardley or um, Wally Downs, sort of the start of his era where he had Hanson. He doesn't really seem he's got that at the moment this season. Do you think that that might be something that I, is not yeah. helping them at the moment? Him um, not really getting that service? I don't. I don't think it's that. I think obviously Piggott was Piggott was amazing last season for for Wimbledon, and he attracted all sorts of attention from the Championship. You know, a lot of Championship clubs were after his signature, and for a player to to have all that talk and then for it to fall through like he did, I think he was going to go to Sheffield Wednesday, wasn't he? And it sort of fell through, and to have that happen to you mentally as as a player is is really is really difficult to go through, and. Maybe his start of the season, he's mentally maybe he's not all there because he thought he might have been playing up a division. If that if that makes sense, so maybe he's just looking. Maybe now that the transfer window is over and done with, he can he can focus on on scoring goals to reignite that attention and put himself in the shot window again. And and then if he can do that, then you'd have thought Wimbledon would would pull away from the bottom the bottom three essentially. Gab, I mean, with, with Wimbledon in the situation that they're in, I feel the games against teams like Southend, um, you have to look at Bolton given their points deduction. Teams like, um, you know, that, that cluster of teams who are predicted to struggle more than any others, they're the games that are going to decide. If they win those games, I mean, you know, you look at their next sort of run of fixes, they've got Shrewsbury on Saturday and they've got Coventry on Tuesday. They've got uh, Bristol Rovers. Um, next Saturday, Peterborough away, then Rochdale at home, and then uh, Roch- and then they've got Southend away. Now, is is the teams like Southend um, and 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 it, to an extent the home games, the ones where they look at and against the, the the struggling sides and think, well, we need to pick up these points if we are to stay up again. Is that what's going to what it's going to come down to? Yeah, I, w- I would think so. I think it's um, it's really important that they uh, they beat the teams around them. I mean, I think they've um, 
they, again, as I say, they've played well in flashes um, so far this season. And I think the wing backs that they've added, like Luke O'Neill and um, Nesta Guinness Walker, they've seemed to have done quite well for them. But um, again, it's sort of creating chances in that final third. And uh, I think that's something that they're going to really have to fix um, against the, the, the bottom sides. Yes, certainly is. Um, Wimbledon, of course, as I said, had Shrewsbury on Saturday. Let's hope that the first win of the season will come for them. Uh, at King's Meadow. Let's have a quick word on Tranmere, of course. Uh, a lot of people might have actually let this one slip through the net, but uh, they, nine days ago, announced that there's a, a new uh, minority stake uh, at the club. Um, Indonesian group, the Sa- uh, Santini group, owned by brothers Wandi, Lakito, and Paulus Wanandi, uh, have bought a small stake in Tranmere Rovers from Mark Palios and Nicola Palos, who are uh, took control of the club five years ago and have had great success leading them to two back-to-back promotions on top of that relegation. Just a shame, really, um, that they came sort of two days after the transfer window shut because it could have been a bit of a... Um, a de- you know, they could have brought in a few more players, potentially. You know, look, Mickey Mellon um, has, has worked wonders at, at Tranmere um, in the two seasons. Obviously, there's going to be new investment for January potentially anyway we don't know how much of a big say these new indonesian stakeholders have got um when you sort of see that news about new shareholders and and investors coming in do do you always have a sense of apprehension or do you have a sense of excitement and optimism for what could lie ahead i think you've got to be careful i think some have to be extremely careful um you know they're they're, they could if they you know, I know they've not bought a majority stake, but if they put keep putting money in, they could they could be throwing it all all their money to try and get the championship, not get there, and then end up like buried them because obviously they're on the doorstep of two massive Premier League clubs in Liverpool and Everton. Mm. You don't you don't want that situation to happen again. But obviously, investment is so key because all the all the money from the TV deal for the EFL is in the championship. I think I was listening to D three D four with Peter Taylor, and I'm pretty sure they said like eighty percent of that, that budget goes into the championship. So all the teams, you know, in League One should realistically be looking to get there so they can have the money and they can then invest it in the infrastructure and, and go forward. But, you know, Tramia are a really good family club and, you know, they're, they're going to, they want to, they their fans want to see them do well. And it would have been really difficult for the Paliotas to sell a stake in their, in their club because, you know, they're supporters and they've done so well to get them in the position that they're in. But, you know, at the end of the day, investment is clear. I know I keep bringing it back to Lincoln, but we've got uh, Clive Nates, a South African investor, and he's getting his mates to come on, on board. And But the difference is that you can tell the good people, like Clive Nates has come in and he's 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 built the training ground. He's done this. He's done whatever Danny and Nicky wanted. And we're not going to end up in a situation like Berry, you know, touch wood. But, you know, Tramia really, if they're, if they're spending too much money and they're going to try and get that third successive promotion... They don't want to end up in, in a similar situation to Barry because you know it could happen. It could easily happen. Well, I mean, the the, the main thing, sort of seeing the the, the press release was Mark Palio saying they have a minority stake, so we'll run the business on a day to day basis. So they don't quite have a growing influence as much as other investors in other clubs. So obviously, they still have good control of it. So. It, a lot of the decisions will go through the the, the Palioses, obviously Mark and Nicola, uh, Gab. Um, do you think what Jake said is is right? They've got to be a bit wary of what goes on, or do you think maybe at the moment because they're um, 
their say in the club is, is, is little. It's not so much of, of, of that much of a worry at the moment. Well, I, I don't want to um, make too many generalisations because I think some foreign investors uh, have the right intentions and want to help uh, the club that they're getting involved with, uh, with um, others don't. So it really depends on, on the situation. Um, I think in terms of the um, the sort of the distribution of wealth in English football, I think, um, as we mentioned, 80% of the EFL TV money goes to the championship, uh, 12% in League One and 8% to League Two. So what we're saying is um, a bit of a disparity there and uh, therefore a lot of League One and Two clubs have to rely on uh, foreign investment if they want to try and be competitive uh, sort of towards the upper echelons of, of the EFL. Um, and sometimes I think in terms of Mark and Nicola, um, they've done incredible um, incredible work for, for Tranmere Rovers and I'm sure everyone sort of respects that. Do they necessarily have the wherewithal to... Um, get them the club sort of pushing higher and challenging to get into the championship. Um, my impression is that maybe not, and maybe they do need some fresh investment. So um, we'll, we'll have to see. But um, yeah, I, I think it really depends on, on what the mentality is of, of the investors coming in. Um, and I'm sure Mark and Nicola um, have, um, uh, have um, will only allow changes to the structure of the club if, um, if the right people are involved. Well, yeah, of course, had you got up a high division and want to chase that dream of the championship, sometimes as the owner, you might feel you don't have enough money. So bringing in foreign investment is sometimes a good thing and sometimes it is a bad thing. We now move on to the player and manager of the month um, nominees and, and who we think could win it. Um, of course, they were announced uh, yesterday. Uh, just to recap, the player... Uh, of the months, uh, four players were nominated uh, in Skybet League One. They were uh, Caden Jackson, Marcus Madison, um, who else was on that? Ian Henderson. Ian Henderson. Uh, yeah, let's get out now. Um, so the four players that were nominated were Ian Henderson of Rochdale. He's had a fantastic month as Brian Barry Murphy's team made a solid start to the League One campaign. Caden Jackson of Ipswich, Marcus Madison of Peterborough's really uh, come into his own in the month, and Josh Vickers uh, of Lincoln has been nominated. Let's start with the player. Um, I'll go first. I think. The winner, oh, this is a tough one, actually. I probably would have to say Madison. I think, obviously, Peterborough didn't get off to the greatest of starts um, within their first three games, but he was unplayable against MK Dons and Sunderland. You know, he had a big con contribution in, in those sort of good and, and big victories. Um, three goals and six assists, I think, is, is a great start to the season. Um, and he is a centre point to Peterborough for me. If he plays well, Peterborough play that extra play that extra dimension, and and he is just a quality quality player. And I think um, it is it still amazes me how he is still in League One playing with Peterborough. But it just goes to show just the money and the the pulling power that Darren McCantney and Peterborough have got, and the ambition that they. They must have. Um, who wants to go first and give me um, who they think the League One Player of the Month should be for August and why? Who wants to go first? Go on, Gab. Go on, Gab. Um, I'll give it to Caden Jackson. There, I, I kind of felt like last season he was. Um, sort of playing in a team that didn't really give him the service. I mean, I kind of felt Ipswich were 
often sort of lumping the balls forward and kind of, or punting them forward, hoping that Jackson would kind of run onto them because he has that sort of searing pace. Um, I certainly think this was the case under Paul Erse. Um, but I think um, in League One, I think Ipswich's midfield is playing a bit higher up and therefore, uh, obviously, Jackson has got a strike partner in, in James Norwood, who's started really well as well. Um, but we're kind of seeing a few more kind of cute three balls that are kind of utilising his pace and really bringing Jackson to life a bit more. Um, and that's why I think he's starting to show his value. So, uh, terrific start for Jackson. We've got Jackson from Gab. I've gone with Marcus Madison. Are you going to go with Henderson or Vickers, Jake, or are you going to go with um, one of the two the, uh, we've said? You know, I'm, I'm, I just want to say, first and foremost, I'm really surprised because we came on the podcast, I think it was before the nominations were, were made, and and we we all of I'm pretty sure all of us said that Norwood and Walker would be two of the players that were mm. the, he- the, yeah. the heavy favourites, and none of them got nominated after having unbelievable months. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say Josh Vickers. He's played really well. He's you know four clean sheets out of six games in in one month is unbelievable for a goalkeeper when you consider that we didn't keep many clean sheets last year despite absolutely ripping League Two apart. Uh, I'm going to agree with Isles in saying Madison because nine goal, nine goal contributions in in the first month of, this, of the season is absolutely unbelievable. The guy shouldn't be playing at, at, in League One at all. He should at least be in the Championship. He's, he's, he's outstanding. Yeah, it certainly is. So we've obviously gone with... I've gone with Madison. Jake there went with Madison as well. And Gab went uh, with Caden Jackson. We now move on to the manager uh, of the month. And uh, it's caused a bit of outrage, actually. A lot from Wickham supporters saying that Gareth Angel should be on the list, which I do actually agree with um, to an extent. Uh, these are the actual nominations. So you have Paul Lambert of Ipswich. Of course, they're unbeaten and have made a really good start. Simon Grayson uh, has made a good start with Blackpool, uh, who was unbeaten in the month. Mark Robbins as well, another man who was unbeaten. And Danny Cowley at Lincoln, of course, who, as we know, has just gone. It would be uh, amazing if he picked up Skybet League One Manager of the Month. Uh, now he's with uh, Huddersfield. Jake, you went last on the Player of the Month. I'll let you go first on the Manager of the Month. Who um, do you think should get it and why? It's, it's a lot tougher, I think, than the player is. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to sound incredibly biased. I think Danny has to get it. I, I think Danny has to get it. Yeah. Well, you know, out of the four nominations, I think Gareth Ainsworth has been the by far the best manager in, in August. But, you know, since he's not been nominated, I think Danny, you know, he was a new manager. He's never managed at this level before. I think we, uh, we sat second at the, end of, at the end of August for any promoted club. I was speaking to uh, Ian Holloway with um, Quest on, on Saturday. And he said, you know, to get, to get promoted, get promoted again, sometimes you've got a plateau where you can't, you can't burst through the ceiling. But Lincoln don't seem to have that. And that, Danny was a main, major reason for that. And, you know, you can say, oh, now he's gone to Huddersfield. He's not a League One manager. But to have a month like we did for our first month back in League One in 20 years, I don't think you can look past Danny at all. Very interesting to say, but obviously the other three have something that Danny doesn't have, which was obviously an unbeaten start. But sometimes that doesn't necessarily matter. Gab, are you going to go with Danny Cowley or are you going to go with someone different? Um, well, I'm not normally a fan of giving the Manager of the Month award some, to a manager that's now at another club because, like, I, I like them having the photograph with the club that they're at because it means that, like, they it kind of um, 
it means that the people who are responsible for the goods that are also kind of given the credit. Whereas, like, when there was a time when Nathan Jones was given Manager of the Month award um, after having gone to Stoke, uh, and then he was sort of holding the award in the in his Stoke track seat, which, I don't know, doesn't quite feel right to me. So, in terms of the best manager for August... Um, as the candidates available, I probably agree with Danny Cowley. But if you're asking me who I'd give it to, uh, sort of generally, I'd probably move towards Mark Robbins just because uh, if Ainsworth left for for Lincoln, um, then I, I, I it would just be really strange him holding uh, the Manager of the Month walking award in in a Lincoln tracksuit. Yeah, I I I see what you're saying there. Um, I'm glad to agree with you, Gavin. Go with Mark Robbins. I think you know, given you know, look, I don't want to make it a bit, you know, sympathetic on his part, but he's had a lot to deal with. Um, you know, the fact that they obviously aren't playing at their home, they're playing at a temporary in St Andrews, won all their games in August. I think they didn't concede, they beat Southend, Gillingham uh, uh, they beat as well, and Bristol Rovers, obviously, which was there too. Um, they got a great comeback at Portsmouth um, to see another team in League One actually better at this season. Nine men, um, 3-1 down, he drew 3-3. Um, they obviously had a ding-dong of Oxford to end the month, I believe, as well. So I, I would go with Mark Robbins again, but it's so tough. You know, all of the, the managers make strong cases. Um, you know, I think Grayson, obviously, going back with Blackpool, again, very similar to, to, to commentary, not to a great extent, and they're not playing at their own ground. But it's still quite an extraordinary sort of start that he made in August. Paul Lambert, of course, it, which went down with no real effort, really, last year. There was nothing in the team. They, you know took to League One very, very well. So, you know, they all make good cases, but um, I, I would go with uh, Mark Robbins. We now move on to weekend predictions. Uh, three games um, that we've looked at where it's, it, it's interesting, uh, to say the least. Let's start off with Ipswich Town in Doncaster. Spoke about Doncaster a few weeks ago on the podcast. Still remain unbeaten under Darren Moore. He's had a very good start, given that uh, they did lose a lot of good players over the course of the summer. Um, who wants to go first and give me a prediction on this one, which is actually going to be very, very tough to predict, I think. Um, I've I've gone with a, a 1-0 Ipswich win. I think Doncaster's unbeaten run is going to finally come to a belated end. Um, you know, I think Ipswich at home, I don't think you can really look past them, you know, especially when they've got Jackson in form, they've got Norwood in form. Their midfield, when they were bought to play in the Championship, were a top-end League One midfield with John Nolan, players of that ilk. So, I don't think you can look past it. I think it'll be tight. I think Doncaster will make it really hard. That's just what they like to do. They like to they like to sit in and hit on the counter, which is what I noticed when I was at the keep mate. So, but I think Ipswich going to win one 0 Gab, what are you thinking for Ipswich? Are you going to go with the home win, or do you think that both teams might preserve their unbeaten starts? Or do you think even Doncaster might cause a shock and win at Portman Road? Yeah, I've been really impressed with Doncaster so far this season. They've, um, despite the kind of the late. Um, recruitment due to McCann's exit and obviously losing three key players in Malik Wilkes, um, uh, John Marquise and, um, and and Herbie Kane as well. Um, they've actually replaced those players really well and other players are sort of stepping up um, stepping up to the mantle and um, I'd probably go with a draw there, right? um, maybe 1-1. One, 1-1 one. One, one draw from Gab. I'm going to go with a 1-0 win for it, which I think what Jake said is, is pretty sort of Spot on. I de- you know, I'm not going to add too much into it. Um, they're going to make it tough. Doncaster, I think that they're, they're going to be a team that not many sides like to play. I think Darren Moore, obviously, at West Brom, liked attacking football. Um, as we know, they were 
great to watch at times in the Championship when he was there. Um, Doncaster, it seems, have gone down a different path. They, they, they're a team for the late show, aren't they? I mean, they did it late against Rotherham. They left it late against Rochdale. So, it's not going to be the easiest of games for Ipswich, but their home form is going to be strong this season. Not a lot of teams are going to take a lot away from Portman Road. So, I'm going to go... With a win there, Burton Albion versus Coventry is our next game. Of course, Jamie Allen and Carl McFadgen head back to the Pirelli for the first time since their move uh, to Mark Robbins's uh, team over the course of the summer. Coventry have been superb this season, uh, unbeaten. Burton Albion, as we know, are a team strong at home. They got their home uh, campaign up and running last time out with a win against Bristol Rovers. So, as we know, Burton last year, strong at home, tough to beat. Coventry. I've got a never say die attitude instilled in them. Um, I'm going to go for this game. I'm actually going to go. I'm actually going to go with a, a two-two draw. I think Coventry. You know they they have a tendency to be leaky, but we know they can score goals. When you've got you know Matt Godden, um, Jabello, and, and and O'Hare, obviously you scored the three against um, Blackpool at the weekend, and you've got in you know Shipley, Westbrook. Um, Jamie Allen, of course, who, who Burton will know a lot about, as I just mentioned. I think that there's so much to look at. Burton are a team who can play at home and, and, and soak up pressure and then hit you on the break with what they've got. They did that very well against um, Bristol Rovers, for, by the sounds of it, um, nearly two weeks ago. So I'm going to go with a, a 2-2 draw. Um, Gab, what are you thinking for this game? Um it's going to be an interesting one. I'm I'm probably going to lean towards uh, Coventry. I mean, I think it all sort of stems from um, from how Walsh gets on in midfield because I think on the one hand, um, I think he's a fantastic sort of technician, really kind of spreads the play well for Coventry. He did that really well last week when I saw him uh, live. But on the other hand, I think um, because he's a bit more casual on the ball and maybe not quite as strong as Kelly, who he'd actually come in for um, with Kelly being injured, um, I think Coventry could maybe be a bit more vulnerable in transition and generally under Nigel Clefburton and have kind of been about pressing in, in quick transitions um sort of last season certainly and, and and perhaps the start of this season so um it's gonna could go sort of either way but I'm gonna side with with Coventry Scott what, what did you think the actual scoreline was two, two one okay okay two one to Coventry. Jake are you gonna go with Coventry staying and beating are you gonna surprise everyone and go with a Burton win? Um Ozzy, you know me too well. I'm going to go for Burton win. I think, wow, I think that okay. I think I, I think Burton at home, as as you've mentioned, they're they're extremely strong. And in this fixture last year, Burton were able to pick up. Uh, I'm pretty sure they beat them one nil. Yeah, they Pirelli. did. They did win. I know that. And um, you know, I think that you've got to pay attention to the fact that Burton have had a longer rest period, so I think they'll be a lot fresher. I know Coventry might have had the full week uh, from the Blackpool game, but. Burton, obviously, they had their game postponed against um, Sunderland uh, into an international break, which is which you don't think will be a factor going into the game. But you know, the players will be fresher; they'll be you know, be a lot fitter. They'll have to go; they'll be able to last a ninety and be a lot stronger at the end of it. So I think you know, it's coupled with the fact that they're at home and Coventry do concede, do concede. I, I can't look past the Burton win. Scoreline uh, two one. 2-1 for Burton Albion there from Jake. And the final game we're going to look at is from uh, London Road. Peterborough versus Rochdale. And I've been quite a big fan of Rochdale this season. I must admit, obviously playing a, a, a different way and quite an exciting brand of football, actually, under Brian Barry Murphy against Southend. They look very impressive 
um, in that 3-0 win nearly two weeks ago. Um, they seem a team better suited to play away than they are at home. They've, I think they've picked up more away points um, so far this season than at home. Um, Peterborough, as we know, seem to be starting to click. You know, got a good win against Sunderland um, at home last time out. Of course, they dismantled MK Dons a few weeks ago as well. Marcus Madison on form um, with the way he's playing and with what they've got in abundance and attack. Rochdale's defence could um, be in for struggle. So I'm going to go with a 3-2 Peterborough win. I, I just think with Henderson up front for Rochdale, I think that, you know, if he gets the ball into his feet in the box, he can easily put it in the back of the net. He doesn't miss much. So that, again, is going to be another high-scoring game. He wants to go first at the pair of you two and, and give a score prediction. I'll, I'll, I'll take the bullet. Uh, I don't think Rochdale are going to have enough whatsoever. I think Peterborough, I think it'll be comfortable for them. I've gone for a 2-0 a two win. I think, you know, the the attacking... Uh, we, we seem to talk about it every time I'm on, the, the attacking depth that Peterborough have. And, you know, the, the difference of Peterborough perhaps this year to last year is that, especially in recent weeks, is... Their defence have finally clicked. You know, Beavers at the back. They've got uh, Frankie Kent from Colchester. They're fine. They're finally clicking as a unit, and they're sort of the, the gaps. If you watch Peterborough, they've become a lot smaller, playing narrower, and they're a lot harder to to beat and get through. So, I cut, as good as Ian Henderson's month has been, which has been outstanding, I just don't see Rochdale scoring. So, yeah, I think I'm going to say Marcus Madison brace two 0 Peterborough. I've gone with. Sorry, I was going to say obviously I've. I was just wanting to set you up, but I was, you know, I've gone with three-two, make it quite a high-scoring game. Jake's gone with Peterborough playing well and being comfortable. How do you see it going? I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go with uh, Rochdale on this one. Um, I think, I think Peterborough, um, they've been on a good run at the moment, and they've had some really sort of eye-catching scores. But like in the first couple of games, they weren't necessarily that great. And I think with what you have with Rochdale, there's a real kind of uh, fluency about the system that Barry Murphy has uh, step up, set up. Um, I think Ewan O'Connell at the back, ball-playing defender. Um, I think Stephen Dooley, um, I'm a big fan of in midfield. Um, and just generally, I think there's a lot of um, fluency about the movement of this Dale side. And I think they're starting to look a bit more like the side that sort of challenged um, for the playoffs under Keith Hill in their first three seasons at this level. And um, yeah, I've got a feeling uh, Dell will win this one, so I'll go 2-0. Two 2-0 nil. Two nil to Rochdale. So that brings an end to the podcast for this week. My thanks go out to Jake and Gav for their excellent contributions. Thank you very much, guys, and uh, have a good week and see you soon, hopefully. See you Cheers, Saturday, Ozzy. Yes, you will see me Saturday, Jake. Uh, in particular, thanks to Gav, uh, who, of course, made his League One Lowdown debut. I thought you did very well on your debut. Um, oh, thanks. So thank you for coming on and uh, see you soon. And good luck with everything um, that you're doing, uh, Gav. Ah, oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, thanks a lot and uh, all the best with the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, of course, the podcast will be out on the various platforms uh, later on. Uh, good luck to all your teams this weekend. Uh, we hope that we can, well, we hope that the results for your teams will be uh, good. Uh, bye, uh, see you next week and bye for now.